On today's episode of The Ramp Podcast, I sit down with the now world-famous Sarah Brazier. Sarah is exceptional. She walks us through how she got her start in sales and in tech sales specifically, and then gives us strategy, tips, tricks, and tactics on how to become a high-performing sales leader. Sarah has been a friend of Ramped for quite some time now and even had input in our first ever career pathway. Sarah is somebody that I look up to both from afar and up close, and she has a truly unique perspective and style of selling. She's an innovator, she's thoughtful, she's kind, and she does it all with grace and humor. Please enjoy today's episode of The Ramp Podcast with our friend, Sarah Brazier. You're listening to The Ramped Podcast, a podcast connecting industry heavyweights with the next generation of talented professionals. We're on a mission to build transparency into the practical realities of your early career by exploring how the world's best did it themselves. Our guidance will help you discover and launch a successful career in sales, technology, finance, and many other industries. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Ramp Podcast. I'm here with one of my favorite people, favorite voices, favorite everything in sales, Sarah Brazier. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am good. I'm good. Good to be with you again. Good to see you again. And we're thrilled to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm a a big fan of Ramp, so... Yay! <laughs> For sure. We're obviously huge, huge fans of you too. Huge fans of you too. Before we jump into those five questions that we ask all of our guests on each season, each episode of the Ramp Podcast, who is Sarah Brazier? What a deep question. When you when you told me you were going to ask me that, immediately my brain went to Les Miserables when Jean Valjean is singing, Who Am I? And then I was like, Who am I? Am I 24601? <laughs> am I Jean Valjean? But but my name is Sarah Brazier, and that's that's who I am. I'm a I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a wife. And for the purpose of this podcast, I am a salesperson, a mid market AE at a company called Gong, and I sell software to salespeople. It's very exciting, sort of inception. But that's me. That's who I am. That's great. That's great. No, I really do appreciate you starting with the personal. We all are well beyond what it says we are on LinkedIn or other business professional websites. So really appreciate that. On your go ahead, though, I would love to dive in to our favorite five questions that we ask all our guests. Yeah, ask them. Ask them and I'll do my best to answer them as candidly as possible. Maybe so candidly, we'll have to delete parts. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep it live. We're keeping it going. We're keeping it going. Okay. All right. Question number one, what is the best investment an early career salesperson can do for themselves and why? Great question. I think the best investment is in establishing some kind of business acumen. And I think there are multiple paths to get that information and to learn it. And it depends on who you are and how you learn. It could be something like finding a mentor who can help you understand what the heck it is you're doing in your role in sales. It could be joining a community that talks about best practices. It could be doing something like ramped and learning, learning how to sell reading books. It could be listening to podcasts, but whatever it is, I think business acumen is the thing that there's a clear gap that I see when I talk to a lot of times SDRs or people who are, you know, first time account executives, 
and they're asking themselves a bunch of questions and it's like, oh, you know what? If you just, if you just knew a little bit more about your prospects, if you just knew a little bit more about how this business makes money, how do they go to market? You would be able to wrap your mind around the problems that they then experience and be more effective in your role. So developing business acumen, both about your prospect and your customer and then sales best practices. Yeah, it's great insight. And we're obviously biased, you know, everybody should join Ramp. So let's get that yeah, out there. Obviously. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. but, <laughs> but I'm curious to know why, why that is, right? So, you know, you've, you've obviously been in the professional workforce for a, a few years. I, I have two and I actually went to business school. And then when I got out into the workplace, I really, really did not know what it was like to work in a business. I'd read case studies about very successful businesses or unsuccessful businesses, but getting in there and realizing, wow, this is nothing like what I read. Is it because there's a lack of education around it when you're growing up? Is it because you're not directed in the right way by maybe like a career services department, or is it something else, you know, systemic, not systemic? That's a good question. Part of me wants to say that it's because when we're in these business classes and we are learning about like these high level things around businesses, it's almost like we're, we're sitting in like the quarterly earnings report. We're just learning from 10 Ks and it, it's just a lot of like business speak. Have you ever watched, there's a, there's a show called, it's like, or like a little sketch that happens on YouTube. It's businessmen with beards or something like that, or like businessmen with long hair. So I think it's like businessmen with long hair. I don't know. It's really ridiculous. It's just like, how many cliches can you say in one sentence around like <laughs> circling the wagons and catching back up and touching base? And that's just kind of what, what I felt like my marketing classes in college were like, and the one, the one class that I took that taught me the most was professor. His name was Lucas Forbes. I think what's his last name It was a sales class. And we actually had to go like pitch people, like sit down with someone and show them what our product was and get them to take a meeting with us. And that day to day is very different than learning about industries and markets and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I think we just don't have like the tactical and the practical of executing is so much different than the language we use to describe problems. And it could be like this, could be like a little, it could be a marketing thing. It could be, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's my answer. I don't know, Danny. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. No, I think you, I think you spelled it out. Like everybody just has this opinion or thought in their head growing up probably of just what business actually is. And it's this kind of enigma. It's like almost like business development, like comes in so many different shapes and sizes until you actually get into a business. You probably really won't know, but I agree with you. Business acumen, critically important, especially in sales when you're trying to solve problems for businesses, right? Like the, it's common sense. So love, love the, love the guidance there. Moving on to question number two, how has your view of sales changed over your career? And why do you think that's happened? Lately, the thing that I've been thinking about is the go-to-market strategy of using SDRs and about how we open up and start conversations. My, my first job as an SDR was very spray and pray, just go to the territory, the geographical territory you were assigned, find every business and download anyone who was in finance and then drop them in a sequence and call it a day. It's just terrible. It's a terrible experience, not only for the SDR who is learning absolutely nothing about how to create meaningful relationships and help 
help be a partner with their prospect, with their customer. Also, it's a terrible experience for the prospect to sit down and just spend, you know, 30 minutes of their day deleting emails or <laughs> um, sending people unsubscribe or whatever it is that prospects do when they get an email from uh, an SDR. And so I've been thinking a lot about how can we ha have better conversations that start better. And so that's why I came to business acumen, because I think so much of it is about like appropriate timing to reach out and uh, having something worth sharing and knowing that it's okay to not reach out to a prospect because probably not relevant to them right now and uh, being smarter about that. And then, uh, you know, finding ways to let your customers come to you, whether that's like product led growth and, or doing a really good job of social media marketing and creating a really strong brand. And so I think that's, that's the thing that is, I don't know if my opinion is changing as much as I'm just trying to think about how sales leaders are going to solve for this in the future, especially as it's like, it used to be like 10 years ago, it was like three touches from an SDR to get a meeting. And now it's like more than 18 touches to get a meeting. So the, the cost of the cost of acquiring a conversation is becoming more expensive. And so like you're fighting against like efficiency and sequencing tools and all this stuff, which is supposed to help us be better, but it's actually just making things worse. If we don't understand like the core reasons behind someone behind why someone would buy in the first place or why someone would engage. And then our buyers are just more educated than ever. So yeah, that's, that's the, that's the question I'm pondering. And so I don't know, I don't know if my opinions change as much as like tactically how I'm approaching conversations with customers is changing a little bit. And I, I believe in the phone a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and in summary, I believe in the phone a lot. And in some way, I believe in, in summary, um, stop emailing and start calling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, there's, we've, we've gone full circle in my time in tech or tech sales. So when I started at Groupon, it was first, not a lot of learning about a product happened before the call. So we would input leads, not automated, like literally manually enter them into Salesforce, dial down a list, no automation software, just dial down your big list and call a bunch of people, call, you know, 60, 100, whatever it was every single day and have conversations and explain what Groupon was. Essentially, like a lot of these folks, it depends on the city, but a lot of these folks were like coaching them through what the internet was at some, to some extent and internet and, you know, internet marketing and why there, there are eyeballs online, et cetera. And then came Yesware, Outreach, you know, even even Gong to some extent, this like crew of software solutions that, and the, and the SDR position in general, we didn't have SDRs in 2010. That was a new concept much later. So that kind of came into being. And then after that, it has gotten really robust. The sales tech stack is crazy big. There are millions of software offer, you know, opportunities for you to use, and they are very expensive especially in aggregate. So you're right. Like the cost of acquiring that first conversation is really, really high and can also be achieved by you just picking up the phone and knowing your, your ideal customer profile and your buyer, like know exactly what they care about, what they don't care about and just have a, try to at least have a conversation. Yeah. So I think like intent software is going to be so important 
in a good intense hopper, like like six cents or something like that. And then using things like Chili Piper, which isn't just like a booking tool to help your SDRs like round robin, but is really about getting like taking like the middleman and taking like that SDR qualification call out out of the process and just getting people to wherever they are in their buying journey. Like that stuff's going to be really important. And, you know, being proficient in that as a salesperson and then getting your timing down. So just calling people, just like read the news, read, read the company news. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, cool. Moving on to question three. It's one of my favorites. What is one mistake you made early in your career that helped shape the way you operate today? And how has it helped shape you? So I think the first mistake that I made as a salesperson was that I didn't I didn't do a good job of asking the right questions in the interview process to figure out if I was working at a company that had the resources to invest in me and took that seriously. Like that was that was the first mistake because but it was a good mistake because I, I learned a ton of stuff through just struggling <laughs> and not hitting quota. But I spent like nine months in C and I basically didn't hit quota the entire time. I think I had one month where I actually attained quota. And I constantly had questions that no one could answer and no one had time to answer. Morale was low, turnover was high, just was a sales organization that made the mistake of scaling way too quickly or growing their SDR team before they actually knew what the SDR motion was supposed to be and who those reps should be calling on. So they should have slowed down and they should have really figured out what their ICP was and why someone would buy before they just like, you know, hire the hundred SDRs and had them spam people. Had I known to ask questions like, I don't know, what is your turnover or how many reps are actually hitting quota and how many reps have been successfully promoted out of your org and how long does it actually take? And how do you go about training your reps and how do you go about continually training them? And can you give me examples and can you tell me more about your leadership style? Just asking questions like that. I, I didn't do that. I was just like, yay, someone will hire me. I won't be poor anymore. <laughs> and so I, I like took the first SDR job that I was offered and then, yeah. And then I, I sat on the struggle bus for a long time. And so when I went to Gong, like the, the difference was that I knew then to ask those questions and I knew to be skeptical and express, express the areas that I was skeptical in example. I had a manager and he was 25 years old. He was younger than me. I was like, how is this guy? He doesn't have any experience managing. Is he going to be good? And I just asked the Sarah that question. I think I said it slightly more politely, but probably not that much more politely. I was like, <laughs> why should I feel good about this first time manager who's been managing for like a month and a half? And the Sierra said, he's just that good. And I believed him. I believed his conviction. And I also had talked to that manager multiple times and he, he knew his stuff. And he was, he was completely invested in me. He spent way more time coaching me and training me. He spent way more time making sure that I really understood what, what, what the value of gold was. And that was, you know, transformational. So yeah, that's, that's the mistake I made early on is picking the wrong company, picking a company that um, looks good on paper, but really didn't have the internal structure to allow me to be successful. Yeah. That's really, really good insight. Critically, critically important, especially for our audience to, to know that interviewing the interview process, I believe fundamentally it's two things. One, it is a real good look at the internal operations of a company. If you 
struggle during that interview process to get transparent information if it's a mess if they're rebooking, if you don't actually know by the start or the finish who you're going to be reporting to and why, that's a sign. And it's something you need to ask around. And then two, the interview process isn't just the company all controlled all the time. It's you. It's a two-way street. Like You are screening them. And the questions you just listed tactically are, are really, really important. If you want to be at a startup, you should go in eyes wide open to the resources that they have available to help you and guide your your career. Uh, same thing at a bigger company with a well-established sales team. You know, Gong is one of our favorites. We emulate a lot of the, the training that y'all put out because you're so proactive with it and upfront about it. But there's tons of literature and you can tell, like they just care a lot about salespeople, about people at a company like that. So it's really important that one, it matches, you know, for what they put out. And two, you're asking those types of questions too. So really good advice. Yeah, I mean, our COO and president, Kelly Wright, her whole her whole thing about her leadership is that Gong Gong's greatest weapon in the market is our people. And that is like, she just published something on LinkedIn earlier in the day. I've got a Slack notification, but that is like her whole viewpoint. So unless you're truly investing in your people and you put your people first, then you're not going to be able to provide the customer experience that your customers need in order to renew and grow their accounts. You're not going to be able to have the conversations that you need in order for someone to take a risk on investing in new software, new technology, new whatever. You don't, you know, you don't have to be selling tech. You could be selling consulting services. Who knows? But yeah, I think I think the other thing that I think is really important is culture uh, starts at the top. So, what are the people who are sitting in the C-suite? How do they talk about their employees? How do they talk about their strategy? How do they engage with people? What do they do? it will inevitably trickle down. So even if, you know, the manager that you could be working for seems great, if the leadership isn't there, they can only shield you for so long from dysfunction. And you should really, really take that into consideration as you're, you're finding the place for you. Yep. It's a really good, really good point. Uh, it's definitely, well, I, I pretty much only know tech, but it's, it's amplified when you're on a small team with not so many layers of management. So just be wary of that too. Yeah, for sure. Sweet. Question number four, who has had the greatest impact on your career and how the impact did you? That's a good question. There, there are lots of people who I think have impacted my career. And so it's hard to boil it down just to one person. I, I talk a lot about T Tanner Robinson, who is the manager, the 25-year-old manager who invested in me. Because the way that he took his time to make me feel empowered and make me feel like I was very capable of doing the job and make sure that I, you know, was getting praise where praise was due and constructive criticism where I needed help. He was really, really good at that. And he allowed me to succeed. And so I think he had a, a huge impact on my career, especially early as an SDR by creating a really fantastic environment for me to excel in. I think there are other people too that impacted my career. There's a guy named Jim Jones. I've talked about him a lot, but I was the front desk girl at a startup <laughs> and uh, he was in enablement and I told him that I wanted to work in sales. And so he made the introductions that got me my first sales job. He gave me the Dan Pink book to sell as human. Nice. And uh, he still checks in with me all the time. Like he's been a really good guiding force and someone just to collaborate with and a, and a wonderful person to know. 
And then there are people like Adam Ochart, who is a, an account executive with me at Gong, and he was just an amazing peer because he's the kind of person who was just, you know, three months ahead of me in his career. But he was like, hey, I learned all of this stuff that I really wish I knew three months ago when I first started. So I'm going to make sure that every new person knows it. And he designed onboarding programs when Gong didn't really, Gong had one person in enablement, was like building an enablement program. So like having really good peers that will step in and help you negotiate a deal the first time you're negotiating a deal or the eighth time because, you know, you're still new to it or bouncing ideas off. Those people have been really, really helpful. Another one of my colleagues, Eric Glendris, he says it takes a village. And, and I think that that is the truth. So <laughs> I don't know if I can credit one person in transforming my career and making me a good seller. I think it's a whole bunch of people who all have made me feel like I could do it. I don't know, believed in the, my autonomy as a seller. The micromanagers did not have a good impact on my career. <laughs> <laughs> they never do. They never do. They always stand out to you, right? <laughs> but I mean, they, they did in some ways because, you know, you're like, oh, man, you make me so mad. I'm never going to be like you. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. So good. My, my mom always used to say it takes a village. So that's that's a, that's a good one. I, I, I believe in that, too. And it's nice that you were able to shout those folks out. You know, it stops along the way. And you always remember the folks that have really helped you, big or small, in your career. And, you know, just knowing you for as long as as, as I have, as we had at Ramped, and then seeing, obviously, the folks on LinkedIn that know and love you, too. It's very clear that you've you've had some of what, or at least a, a likewise impact on their careers as well. Because I know you got a bunch of super fans out there. And it's it's clear that you you definitely care about those relationships. Hundred percent. Yeah, we got to pay it forward because I don't think that anyone should have to suffer through the suffer fest that I went through in my first nine months of selling. I mean, maybe you should just like for the the hard knocks and the get gritty and the, uh, really understand what like a good good working environment is versus a bad. But yeah, I mean, if you can if you can help somebody escape that or excel or make the money that they deserve to make, then you know you should pay it forward and pass pass the buck <laughs> all right so last up it is the question we've asked all our guests all three seasons here on the ramp podcast our favorite question if you could go back in time now that you have the benefit of hindsight and give yourself one piece of advice as you are entering into your career what would that be oh that's so tricky that's a tough one <laughs> they're all obvious things probably like shut up listen be patient wait your turn <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that I've had a fulfilling and interesting career and every negative experience that I've had, I think can be spun into some kind of positive learning. So I don't, I don't know what exactly I'd tell myself other than like pay attention. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I, I don't, I guess the, the problem is that I wouldn't change anything. So there's nothing to change. So I don't know what advice I would give myself, other, like run better pilots, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh here, here's what it is. I know yeah. when you walk into a situation and you feel like you've got it, that is the time to go, I need help the most. Because when, especially starting out new, I think that there are plenty of things where you go, oh, I've got it way too fast. And you have this like, confidence and, and you mess things up, mess things up that, that if you had just had a little help, you wouldn't have. For example, when it comes to pilots, I 
was running like the biggest pilot I had run basically the end of my first quarter as an account executive or like the beginning of my second quarter. And everything I run up until that had gone really smoothly and really well because they're really tiny. And I was like talking to the CEO or the CRO. This company was like five times the size of anything I'd sold to at that point and was far more complicated. And I really didn't, I really didn't understand the complexities of what I should have been doing and what I should have been executing on. And when I had my one-on-one with my manager, he was like, you got it? And I was like, yep, I got it. Instead of being like, what am I missing? What, what should my strategy be? Where am I falling short? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so I, I, I lost like, I lost what could have been a really great customer for Gong and what should have been a really great customer for Gong. That was a winnable deal that I screwed up so hard uh, because of hubris. And so I think that that's probably the advice that I would give myself is the more confident you feel at that moment, the more you should go, "Eh, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Who do I need to go talk to and ask for help to make sure that I don't, I don't screw this up. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's exceptional advice and I'm guilty of it as well, still to this day, when at times I got to snap out of it, it's like, you just don't need to know all of the answers all the time. And asking for help is actually a position of strength. It's like, I've gotten it to this point, I'm really stuck, like, help me work through it so that we both can be better, or I can be better for you, for the team, for myself, etc. So I think it's a position of strength to ask. Um, and it that is that is something you have to learn over your career. It's not straightforward all the time. It's not innate in you. And it, it kind of hurts sometimes to like have to admit that you want to ask somebody for something you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Just assuming that it's going to be the same as every other deal you've run is like, that's bad. Don't do it. <laughs> so ask for help from your manager, from your man- manager's manager, from your champion, you know, from everybody try to figure out like, is what I'm seeing the actual reality or am I just feeling real cocky right now? hundred percent. You'll probably save yourself a lot of lost lost revenue. (laughs) Yeah. And, and emotional, emotional angst too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Sarah, this has been a pleasure per usual thrilled. You joined us today. So thank you for dropping all your knowledge on us. Where can folks find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. That's pretty much the only social media I use these days. So yeah, find me there or on the streets of New York, wandering around, walking my dog. Those are like the places you can find me or in this office where I spend most of my time. <laughs> Amazing. We've been, we have really been relegated to like the room in your house, right? So you can try to, you can try to find me here, but yeah, I'm not telling you where it is. <laughs> this one room. Tell you where it is. Just, you know, you gotta go, Just... get a good look at <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. We hope to have you back sometime on the Ramp podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Danny. See you later. Thank you for listening to The Ramped Podcast. To access our show notes, The Ramped Platform, or to become a corporate partner, visit www.rampedcareers.com or email us at sales at rampedcareers.com. This podcast is brought to you by Ramped. Ramped is on a mission to democratize job access through learning and career discovery. Until next time.